0: Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. Make sure you get there, Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. Uh, We're gonna do it a slightly different way today. I'm gonna start off by telling you a story. Um, and, And I want you to know that this passage of scripture is different than the account that you hear of Jesus being anointed in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and John chapter 12. So I'm operating from the interpretive aspects of this is a completely different story. The other instances occur immediately before Jesus' crucifixion. Luke didn't put this before Jesus' crucifixion. They also have a Simon, but the Simon in the other stories is a leper. The Simon in our story is a Pharisee. It's very rare that you're gonna have a leper that is a Pharisee. The name Simon appears no less than eight times in the New Testament, it's a common name, so it doesn't mean they're the same people. In the story that you have in Matthew and Mark, the perfume is poured on Jesus's head, not his feet. And it's Mary of Bethany in John chapter 12 who does the anointing. The point of those three stories is the denarii, 300 denarii that the perfume was worth and it's wasting the money. And even John makes a comment there about Judas and giving the money to the poor and other things. And so that story has an entirely different point than the parable and the story that we're gonna talk about today. So if in your mind you have all four of these linked together, I want you to pop out the Luke story and say, oh wait a second, this is different, so we can talk about that in a different context and in a different way. So there's a story that's told. Luke has a purpose that we'll get to, but he tells a story about Jesus going to a Pharisee's house to eat. Now as we think about Jesus going to a Pharisee's house, We often hear of him eating with sinners and tax collectors, but it doesn't mean that he didn't also eat with Pharisees. As he's at this Pharisee's house to eat, it says they reclined to sit back at the table. We understand from context that reclining to eat at the table, you would have the table in front of you, you would lean probably on your left elbow, because most people would have been right handed, they would reach to eat with the food with that right hand and their feet would be away from the table, which is pretty common, I mean, you're walking on dirt roads in this time. You're typically wearing sandals. Your feet are probably gonna be dirty. They're gonna be nasty. In fact, a lot of locations would have water for you to wash your feet off before you came in to eat or to recline at the table. And so the feet would be away from the table as you're sitting there eating. I mean, who really wants to stare at feet while they're eating food, right? Anybody in the room wanna do that? That's not, that's not good. So here Jesus is eating. There's a woman who comes in. Not all that uncommon, because often when they had the table, they would allow for others who weren't actually invited to the dinner, they weren't important enough to be invited to the dinner, but they would come and they could stand on the side or out at the back and they could listen to the conversation. So if it's somebody teaching, somebody important, you might wanna, I just wanna hear what they have to say, I know I'm not invited, so they would, they would come in but this person who came in was different. This person wasn't like a person who would normally come to a Pharisee's house. In fact, the Pharisee actually described this person who came in as a known sinner, a woman of reputation. Now, we don't know what that means, but in this day and time, you could assume that a woman of reputation was known widely for her sinful acts, perhaps She was a prostitute, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us, it just tells us she was a sinner. Perhaps she had been in open adultery and so it was known all throughout the town. Perhaps she was married to somebody and they were just involved in all sorts of mischief and bad things. We don't exactly know what was happening, but the Pharisee and everybody else is like, this is a known sinner. I mean like think about the person that you would know that's a known sinner and this is what's being talked about here. Now think about this woman, what goes through your head when you decide, I've heard Jesus is going to be there, I want to go listen, I want to go here, but it's at a Pharisee's house, it's at a place where a person like me would not be invited and yet she goes and she's there. She doesn't just show up, apparently she's standing behind where Jesus was reclining at the table and... I don't know whether she's standing or whether she's kneeling. We don't know exactly how close she is at the time, but it says that her tears began to wet Jesus' feet. Okay, now time out, because we could skip right past some of these verses sometimes. If your tears are wetting someone's feet to where it's noticeable, I'm guessing here, but that means his feet were probably dirty. And those tears This was not a dignified cry. This was an ugly cry. Have you ever seen somebody ugly cry so much that the tears are just falling and there's just an uncontrollable sobbing? It has to be like that, otherwise, how are you gonna even know that the feet are getting wet? I mean, how would you even have that context to understand that the feet are wet? So what happens? This woman, apparently so in shock that the tears are falling and that Jesus' feet are getting wet either has her hair down or lets down her hair. Now, some commentators will tell you that also indicates she may have been a prostitute because you kept your hair up, that's what you did if you knew how to behave and knew how to act. And yet, she took her hair and at this point, she has to get down on her knees because she uses her hair, I don't have hair long enough to illustrate this for you, but she uses her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. the feet, are, the feet are here. How do you, some of you have long hair. You can figure this out better than I can. I don't know how. A woman so broken. A woman with such affection that the tears won't stop coming. And she uses her very hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. Jesus. And she doesn't stop there because she had planned ahead and brought an alabaster container and inside of that alabaster container was ointment, probably far more expensive than what she could normally afford. And some would even say these alabaster containers would keep the perfume pure and you would break off the top on some of them because it was, you meant for a one-time use. It was a very special thing. And She used this alabaster ointment then to anoint the feet of Jesus. Not the head of Jesus, the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like feet. I mean, I really don't like feet. They're nasty. They're ugly. I get an amen for that. I mean, They're disgusting. It's why God helped us create shoes is to cover them up. So throw away all your sandals and flip-flops. Just get rid of them. You don't need them. Put shoes on. I mean, that's how you protect your feet. I should tell you a story, but I won't because I'm in the middle of this other story. Actually, I'll tell you anyway. All right. So time out. Put a pause here. So two, three, I don't remember exactly how old I was. Disobedient um, rebel even then. I'm inside, my dad's out burning moss out of a chain in the driveway of the yard and they tell me stay inside and they close the door and apparently I figured out if you push the latch, the door opens. So I pushed the latch and went running out to see my dad and there was a chain that was hot because he had burned the moss out, it was still red and guess what I stepped on? So three-year-old Thomas was smart. He figured out that'll never happen again if I wear shoes everywhere I go. You see the logic there, right? It's flawless. And so I did, until I was like 12. I mean, even in the swimming pool at hotels, we had to take an extra pair of shoes because I would wear shoes in the swimming pool at hotels. So this text freaks me out, I'm just saying. Feet, ugh. I was gonna put a picture of feet on the PowerPoint. I couldn't find a picture of feet I could tolerate to look at on a PowerPoint. So you don't have a picture of feet because it's feet. I mean, this is disgusting. So put yourself in this woman's mind for a moment. Don't just, don't just gloss by what the text tells us here. This woman who had prepared with an alabaster jar, who comes to a place where she's not welcome and she knows she's not welcome and they know she's not welcome, is so emotional. And I don't know, what the text doesn't tell us is she emotional out of joy because her sins have been forgiven from a previous encounter with Jesus? Or is she emotional because she knows how big of a sinner she is and this is the Messiah and she has encountered the true Messiah? Is she weeping from joy or is she weeping from sinful regret and remorse about who she is? We don't know, it could be either, it could be both but we know that she is weeping uncontrollably to the point that Jesus' feet are wet, and it's a scene, and to make the scene worse, she's like, oh no, what do I do? Use my hair. I'm gonna clean his feet with my hair. Oh, I'm gonna anoint them now with this oil. At least in my mind, the other side of the table is the Pharisee. He's also reclining, he's also eating. He's watching. The text doesn't say that he said anything. He he didn't say, go away, what are you doing here? But in his thought processes, Luke records for us that he says, this guy is no prophet. Thought now, not words, just thoughts. Because if this guy were a prophet, this guy would know what kind of woman it is that's touching him. So just so happens in my quiet time this morning, I was reading Ezekiel. It was talking about the temple. It was talking about the separation. It was talking about the clothes. It was talking about how you would take your clothes if you were in one section and you couldn't take them off. You couldn't have them on to go be with the people. You would actually have to take off your special service robes in order to go be with the common people because that wasn't acceptable for you to take the things that were reserved as holy to be with the common people. So in this Pharisee's mind, to give him to give him just a little bit of grace here. He's thinking through all of these Old Testament rituals and the separation and the holy aspects of you can't be with the common people. And perhaps he's thinking of Jesus as, this guy says he's a prophet. He says he's somebody special. And yet he doesn't even know that this woman, who she is, there's no way you would ever let a person like this touch you. And if it were me as the Pharisee, I would say, and certainly not touch your feet. I mean, come on. You see the story? Jesus now tells us a parable. Tells us his parable in Luke chapter seven. Luke chapter seven, we have that context that I just gave you, but the parable starts in verse 41. Jesus tells him in verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Teacher. Verse 41, he says, the parable here, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. All right, so what's the main idea of our text? Let me give it to you. The main idea of our text, if you're taking notes, is that comprehending the severity of our sinfulness impacts the depths of our devotion to our Savior. I I don't think there's much difference between the person who owed 500 and the person who owed 50 because neither could pay. They were both completely hopeless. But the person who thinks they owe more is more likely to love more And so the difference is not in the actual separation of our sin or our debts before a holy and righteous God, the difference is in the actuality of what we actually owe and how we comprehend our sinfulness before God. I mean, you could be the absolute worst sinner here in this room and your sin has separated you by an infinite amount from a holy, righteous, and perfect God. You could be the absolute least sinner in this room and your sin has separated you by an infinite amount from a holy and righteous God. But if you think of yourself as much much better than you are, then perhaps your devotion for the forgiveness that you've received won't be as high as if you ponder and think about your sin and your separation in a greater depth and in a greater way. It's kind of the story that Jesus is telling here. Comprehending the severity of our own sinfulness impacts the depth of our devotion to our Savior. And let me tell you this. I've always been sinful and had a selfish nature and always had a sin nature and even after being saved, always struggled with the flesh, like it's it's there. But the more you grow in Christ and the more you walk in Christ, the more sensitive you are to exactly how broken your thought processes and your heart is. It's not like there's a point in life, at least in my life, it's not like I've ever reached a point where I've said, okay, I've arrived, I finally got this thing and it's taken care of. It's the more sensitive I get to all the thoughts of arrogance and pridefulness and why do I even have that thought cross my mind? What's wrong with me? And that depth of understanding of exactly how messed up we are with a sin nature or with the flesh drives us to an appreciation for God, the infinite God who created us all and who could have just condemned us all to hell, but instead he sent his son to live a life where he was spit upon, where he was ridiculed, where he was challenged by Pharisees. Who does this guy think he is? He doesn't even know this type of woman. Where he was eventually crucified and killed on a cross and sent to a grave in order to do what? in order to forgive me of my sin? How can it be? So when I think about what Jesus did on the cross compared to what I've done to my savior, there should be an appreciation and a devotion for the great gift that God has given us. Now if you want traditional points for this text, you see a sinner's love And you see a saver's forgiveness. We've talked about a sinner's love, but I will read the text to you just so that you know exactly what's in the text versus what I may have imagined in my telling of the text. Verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house. He reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner When she learned he was reclining at the table of the Pharisees, brought the alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at the feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet. Oh, I left that part out, didn't I? That's even more gross. And anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You hear the little bit of of condemnation there? I'm better than her? And Jesus answered to him and said, we've already read this, he tells him the story, he tells him the parable, and then we're gonna get from that parable to the conclusion of the matter. 500 denarii, 50 denarii. I tried to average this out to give you exactly what it was. There's two different views when you look at the commentaries on this. One says it's two year salary versus two and a half months. One says it's one and a half year salary versus two months. It's a big difference, but both are canceled. And so which one will love him most? I suppose for the one for whom you canceled the greater debt. Now look at the contrast here. There's a contrast in our text. It begins in verse 44. Then he said, turning to the woman, get it in your mind. Jesus leaning at the table, eating, all of this is happening. What's everybody doing while she's crying and Wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing his feet. I guarantee you, everybody's looking and staring at what's happening. And then Jesus turns and tells the parable to them. I've got something to say to you, Simon. Say it, teacher. And here comes the parable. And then at the end of this parable, in verse 43, Simon answers. And then Jesus says, turning to the woman. Simon, do you see this woman? Here's the contrast. When I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. You didn't even give me a bowl to wipe the dirt off my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. Now, it was a, so all the guys in the room, don't freak out here, all right. It was a greeting kiss. It, it was just a peck. It's, today, just imagine the bro hug, right? Like you, you, you give somebody five or something, you grip and then you pull them in tight and then one, two, three. You just pat and then let go, all right? If you go more than three, there's a problem with you and we need to send you the, I'm just kidding. That's how we do it though, right? Some, some do 2 they're a little bit more sensitive, they can't, out, all right, back away. That's what this was, right, all right? So this was just the greeting of the day. You greet, you get the little peck there, back away, all right, we're all good. He didn't get it, it didn't happen. So he says, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. The Pharisee didn't sin by not offering water, the Pharisee didn't sin by not offering a kiss to Jesus, but the Pharisee certainly didn't show love and devotion to the Savior that could have forgiven him of all of his sin. And so you see the contrast here. Look at verse 46. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Oh, that would have been a nice thing to do. That would have been really good hospitality. That would have been something that would have been special. Especially if you really appreciated somebody who was saving you from your sins. But she has anointed not my head with oil, but my feet. Now look at what he says right here in 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many. Jesus doesn't minimize it. She's a sinner, and her sins are many. But what does he say about her sins? They're forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, at least in perception, loves little. Now don't get tripped up here, This is why we don't take verses out of context, we read in context, because when you look down to verse 50, it's gonna say your faith has saved you. It's not that she loved much and that work saved her, it's faith that saved her, but that faith in the Christ is what then resulted in the love for the Christ who had saved her, and that's what we're seeing here, is that your love, because you have loved much. Look at verse 48. He said to her, directly to her now, he's not talking to Simon, He looks at the woman, this woman who's the known sinner. So maybe you're in this room right now and you think, oh, if you only knew what I did. Maybe you're watching online right now and you think, oh, if you only knew how bad I was, there's no way that God could forgive me. I am so bad, God would never be able to use me. Jesus sitting here at this table in front of the Pharisee looks back at this woman and when he looks back at this woman, he says this to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who are at the table. All the other people eating at the table. Look at what they said. Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus turning back to the woman. Says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because she was at peace with God. Reconciled to God, forgiven by the Savior whose righteousness she now was clothed in, There's a couple of things happening here. In this context, this question of who is this who even forgives sins is important. It matters because in chapter seven of Luke, Jesus is shown to be the healer of the centurion servant. He raises the dead son of a widow he answers questions from John the Baptist messengers. John the Baptist messengers come and say, are you the one, are you the prophesied Christ? And he answers those questions and he says to them, tell them what you see. He's fulfilling all of these prophecies. And then at the end of this parable, here's the question, who is this who even forgives sins? And this is written to Theophilus, the the God lover, to tell him exactly who Jesus is. And so he's saying to him, who is this person? And Luke is saying, this is the one. This is the Christ. This is the Christ that not only knew the woman and her sin, but knew the thoughts of the Pharisee. The Pharisee didn't tell Jesus the thoughts when Jesus told the parable. They were thoughts in his mind, but because he's God, he knew the thoughts in his mind, he knew the sins that she had committed, and he is able to forgive all of them. And I wanna tell you this morning that Jesus loves you, and he knows all of your baggage, and he knows all of your evil, wicked thoughts. He knows how broken you are, and he says, I love you, and I can forgive you, and he still wants to. He wants that relationship with you. This is good news. So when we look up on what happened in the wondrous cross, that cross where the Prince of Glory died, it's where my greatest gains I count, but loss, because God, in the flesh, forgave me, a rebel against the king. I've got some thoughts for you as we close here. The more we realize how wicked we are, the more we will value the forgiveness Jesus provides. I wrote that down and I thought, you know what? Is that application point or does that thought mean that I just need to, wallow in my wickedness and think about how wicked I am all the time? Well, that's not a good, healthy place to be. So number two comes right off of that. It's good for me to consider my brokenness, but it's not healthy for me to remain in hopelessness. Like Sometimes we we think about how messed up we are and we just jump into despair and anxiety and depression because we're just messed up. It's not good for us to stay in the fact that we're messed up because we have a Jesus who has saved us and we have a Holy Spirit living within us if we've repented of our faith and put our trust in Christ and that Holy Spirit can help fix us one day at a time, one slow walk in the same direction, keep stumbling forward. We are getting better day by day, more like Christ as we lean into his word, as we trust in the power of the Spirit and so it's okay for us to consider where we came from and to give glory and praise to God and adoration to God. It's not okay for us just to wallow in that all the time because we have a Jesus that's gonna make all things new. And when we focus too much on our sinfulness and not enough on his grace and godliness, that's not healthy for us. So if you're here and you think I can never be forgiven, then I just wanna say get over yourself. You're not that big a deal. Because I don't care what you've done, it doesn't compare to the grace that God has. So whatever the heights of your depravity are, you don't even scratch the surface of the depths of God's grace and mercy. You don't know what I've done, I don't, and I don't care. Because you're no worse of a sinner than those we read about in the Bible that Jesus says, for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. So if you're here right now and you always go back to you don't know who I am or what I've done, nobody could love me, get over yourself. God can forgive you and loves you and is gonna love you all the way to the end no matter what. Now that doesn't mean go sin more so that grace can abound. We know better. But it means God loves you. You have value and worth. You are created in the image of God. Christ died for your sins. He loves you. When I think about the fact that my Savior, my Creator, died for me substitute on the cross in my place for my sake that should cause my devotion and my affections for my savior to increase. It should cause humility to grow, arrogance and pridefulness to shrink. It should cause the self to shrink. It should cause my love for others to grow. It should cause my affection and my focus for Christ to grow. And I conclude with this, Jesus is the Christ. He knew the Pharisees' thoughts and he knows my thoughts and he knows your thoughts. And he forgives me when I ask. So if you're here this morning and you're the Pharisee, you just have to have a grouchy attitude and you don't know if you believe all this stuff. He's Christ. Whether you want to admit it or not, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. If you're here this morning and you feel broken and you are the woman who is the sinner, whatever that may mean, Jesus is there waiting to say to you, Your sins are forgiven. Comprehending the severity of our sinfulness impacts the depths of our devotion to our Savior. Dear Lord, as we sing now, as we worship you through song, Lord, would you help us to take a moment, just contemplate who we are and that we deserve nothing. Lord, we have earned nothing. There is nothing good in us And Lord, would you help us to sing out with love and adoration and devotion to you, the only true God, the Savior, who is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Lord, may we glorify you and exalt you in this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.